Welcome to episode four, where we muse about working with plants in the magical realm. So you may notice that in the title of this podcast, I spell magic with a K at the end. Why do we spell it that way? Well, I wanted to start out just having a little look at that. In the Oxford Dictionary, this spelling is called the archaic spelling of magic, and it's used to differentiate the occult from performance magic. According to Aleister Crowley, magic spelled with a K is the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will. This is the spiritual practitioner versus the sleight of hand entertainer. This magic with a K is the magic we use to affect our true will on the physical world. True will is defined by Crowley as the intersection between our free will and our destiny. We'll talk more about that later in the podcast. The earliest spelling I could find of magic with a K was in 1651 in a book written by a German occultist and physician, Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa, and his book was called De Occulta Philosophia. So this is not a new age spelling for sure. Um, There is another spelling in our community of the word magic, uh, Laurie Cabot, who is the founder of the Cabot tradition of witchcraft, actually spells it M-A-J-I-C-K. She has a lot of good reasons for spelling it that way, including numerology. Um, And you can find out more about why she chooses to spell magic with a J and a K in her book of shadows. To me, you can spell magic however you like. I personally go back and forth with how I spell it, but understanding the depth of the word magic as it pertains to this co-creative partnership between the human will and the elements of manifestation in the deep in the world is the deeper work. That's really, to me, that's really what matters way more than how we spell it. In order to use our personal will in a way that co-creates reality, we need to have a deep understanding of manifestation. I have found no better teacher in the art of magic than plants themselves. They draw sunlight into their leaves and they draw water and minerals up through their roots and they alchemize these prime substances into physical matter. If that's not magic, I've never seen it then. Plants begin as small, hard, inert seeds and they burst forth miraculously to become sentient beings and communities. These communities create the conditions for life to flourish on earth. They hold the soil together in their root webs. They sustain communities of insects, birds, and herbivores. And those communities sustain other communities of omnivores and carnivores. In many ways, plants and fungus are the true architects of life on earth. So what is the magic of plants? My teacher, Sage Apopam, says that it's no coincidence that the word plant and the word planet are only one letter different. He teaches that the plants carry, incarnate, and embody the energy of the solar system here on Earth. They're literally stars in the form of plants. Each of the planets carry this energy signature a personality profile, a predictable archetypal set of characteristics. Jupiter, the gas giant of our solar system, carries this energy of expansion and travel and adventure. 
learning, generosity, and growth. Plants that embody Jupiter are plants like lemon balm, also known as Melissa officinalis. Lemon balm is uplifting with its lemony scent. It spreads readily throughout the garden and beyond the garden. It grows, it travels, it boosts our mood, and it makes us more loving and social and relaxed. Its large green leaves are good medicine and good food, reflecting Jupiter's quality of abundance. Another example is a moon plant. You know, the moon is watery and feminine, cyclical and nurturing. This is reflected in a plant like marshmallow or Althea officinalis. The roots of marshmallow are white and moist and nourishing. The flowers are beautiful and beloved of pollinators and herbivores. The leaves are medicine and food, and in a different season, the roots are medicine and food. This reflects the cycles of the moon and the potent magic of each cycle. Each planet and the sun imprints life on earth with their signatures. In magic, these are called correspondences. There have been many volumes written on correspondences in in working magic. I had never been able to really understand correspondences deeply until I started to work deeply with the plants. I could see how patterns were repeated throughout the plants shapes in the leaves and flowers, colors in the stems and leaves and flowers and roots, fragrances, growing patterns. These patterns are echoes of patterns that I can see in astrology with the planets and also patterns that I recognize archetypally in our magical pantheons. In this way, everything in nature is part of a larger language that we only have to understand to be able to deeply work with the energetic blueprint behind all things. Once we begin to understand this language, then we can speak into this language ourselves. And in my experience, this is true magic. The first step in working true magic is to be able to see ourselves clearly and to be able to see our situation clearly. This is where the help of loved ones who truly have our best interests in their heart is foundational. Our loved ones help us see what we cannot see ourselves. They help us see obstacles that may be standing in our way and in what direction we truly want to move. We all have a lot of conditioning that keeps us from being able to see any of this very, very clearly. Um, And I talk about some of that in previous podcasts about othering. But with the help of the tools I have for clear seeing and the people who love me, I can begin to understand in what direction I need to move and what obstacles are in my way. If I still can't see clearly enough, then I might call on the help of a plant ally like Mullen. She's also called Hecate's torch. This plant helps me to see more clearly. I might make an actual torch by dipping the flowering stems into beeswax, lighting this torch ceremonially, listening to it crackle and pop as it burns, and calling in the power to see in the dark. I may call on Hecate, the namesake of this plant, to also guide me. Or maybe Ariadne, she who left the thread for Theseus to guide him in the dark labyrinth, 
Maybe she has a thread to leave for me in this dark passage. Once I can see the obstacles clearly, then I can begin to move in the direction of overcoming them. An example might be my car. Let's say my car is not reliable to get me to where I need to go. This is a very tangible, practical example. So I would start to wonder, what is the energy, the archetypal energy behind this need? And the archetypal energy is transportation, freedom, sovereignty. So what being around me really understands that? For me, that would be a maple tree. Maples spread their seeds with something called samaras. They look like little helicopters. They come spiraling down from the canopy, moving the seeds away from the, the mother tree to diversify the range of germination for the next generation. These maple samaras carry the energy of movement, dispersal, travel. I would ask them for their help, their guidance, their energy. They are potent with life force and vitality. They may even have a better idea for manifestation than the one I desire, since they are completely attuned to the mind of life, the intelligence that infuses all things. I may gather Samaras and put them on my altar. I may do my magical working at the base of the maple tree itself. I may do a meditative journey to the spirit of maple and ask for her help. I will do what I can to align myself with the energy of life that corresponds to the energy that I'm working with to accomplish my goals. Another example that most people can relate to is tension in relationships. If this relationship is based in tenderness and love, I may work with a Venus signature plant like rose or strawberry, raspberry, blackberry, cacao, elder. If the relationship is with an authority figure, like a father or a, an employer, I might work with a Saturn rolled plant like comfrey or horsetail. I look for patterns in the plant that are echoes of patterns and the qualities of the relationship that I'm trying to achieve or heal. And I would do the same kind of thing. Gather these plant allies to me, work with them on my altar, take them as tinctures or flower essences, ask them to guide me in dreams. Personally, I keep an acorn on my altar at all times. This acorn contains the potential to grow a giant oak tree. And it reminds me of the immense power of raising a family. My children carry the potential to change the world. Oak was sacred to the Druids, the wisdom keepers of my European ancestors. I work with acorn and with oak with the intention of imparting wisdom on my children and helping them feel connected to their ancient past. There was a theme in working folk magic in the 1500s and before where practitioners would call spirits to them and threaten them into doing their bidding. They would threaten to bind them to objects or otherwise control and force their will to be done by the spirits they had summoned. There are still magical practitioners that work in this way. I don't think this kind of force is necessary or wise. The spirits of plants, 
waters, stones have always fed and helped humans. They're generous and hospitable. They're eager and ready to assist us in our healing, our growth, and our evolution. We don't need to stoop to this violent and oppressive forcing of our will onto other beings. Acting in this way damages our energy body, our heart, our integrity, and it makes us vulnerable to predatory forces in the world that would steer us into a more fear-based and dangerous territory. A more intact, more whole, more indigenous way of being is to understand the interconnectedness of our lives with the lives of the plants and the land and the stones and the water and how our destinies are intertwined. When we can see the truth of our belonging, then we know our personal will impacts the will of all things, impacts the destiny of all things. And when we ask those beings with whom we are forever intertwined to join in our workings, then we're ensuring that our will is aligned with the will of life. This is our true will our desire in balance with our destiny. The oak, the maple, the motherwort, the stream, the lapis, they all desire for our health and wholeness because they understand that our wellness ensures their wellness and the balance of life toward wholeness. I encourage you to find spirits of plants or trees or stones that are living on the land where you live. Build a relationship with them. Invite them into your magical workings. Invite them into your dreams. Look to them for guidance, for strength, for wisdom. Find a being around you and learn the name given to that being by the colonial forces, like Marshmallow. And find their scientific name, Althea Efficinalis. If you can, Learn the name given to them by the indigenous people who sprung up out of the land with that plant. Learn stories about the plant, myths, ways that it was used in history to bring wellness. What astrological ruler is typically assigned to this plant? And do you agree? Do you feel like it should have another rulership? Draw a picture of the plant, write a song for it, sleep with a leaf under your pillow. If it's edible, drink a tea from the plant. Make a journey to its spirit. In this way, you are building relationship with this being. You are becoming allies. You will share your needs and desires with each other. Your plant ally will help you in your magic and you will help the plant grow well and strong. This is potent magic. This deepening of a relationship is the journey to finding the true name of a being. When we know the true name, then we are able to access the truth and essence of this being. And this journey guides us to our true name as well. In my tradition, we take magical names for ourselves as part of this walk toward our essence. The name reminds us of who we really are beneath the face we use to survive in society. There's a wildness that lives at our core a part of us that is made of stars and of stones and of ocean water. This part of us has not forgotten our belonging or our potent magic as co-creators on this planet. 
Our given name ties us to our ancestral heritage, but our magical name ties us to our soul and our spiritual ancestors and the stars. I'll talk more about magical names on next week's podcast. But to wrap up for today, when we engage in plant spirits, when we engage with stone spirits, when we engage with deity or spirit guides in our magical workings, the potency of those ingredients in our spell work comes out of relationship. It's not as simple as collecting herbs out of a correspondence book and putting them on your altar and working your spell. That is one form of magic, and it's a form that may work for some people. But the deeply alchemical and transformative magic of this world comes out of relationship. And it doesn't have to be fancy And it doesn't have to be exotic. In fact, the more humble the plant, the more accessible the plant, the more you see the plant all around you, the stronger that relationship is going to be and the stronger your magic will be together. So stay tuned for more episodes about developing these relationships. Um, You can find out more about plant identification on my YouTube channel. And um, until next time, start looking around what plants are growing around you and which of them might be trying to get your attention because one of them is.